The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, Psalm 19. Psalm chapter 19. Uh, the last several weeks, uh, I, I, are we on like day 65 of this quarantine? 66, I'm not sure. Um, but we are in a series that we have entitled Heart Cries and looking at selective psalms, teaching us, showing us what it means to pray, how to, how to process our emotions, looking at uh, David and Asaph and others as they bring all that they have and all that they feel to the Lord. And like we've been saying, we've been feeling and thinking a lot and we want to know how to bring that to the Lord in a productive way, in a faith-filled way, in a God-honoring way, ultimately in a life giving way. And Psalm 19, once again, I believe has a great uh, exhortation, instruction, and encouragement for us that will really motivate, fuel, and form our prayers in a way that uh, they'll be answered, that will inspire us, that will drive us to want to pray that much more. Psalm 19, and as I begin to read it, you go, oh, I know this psalm. It's one of my favorites. It is one of mine too. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Verse six, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Verse 12, who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we thank you, Lord. We have prayed many times already in this service. And once again, we humbly come and say, God, speak. In a psalm that is all about your voice, God, we pray that you would speak. And more than that, Lord, give us ears to hear what you are saying, God. We need to know, we need to discern and recognize right now above all times what it is you are saying. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, like I mentioned a moment ago, we're in day, I forget, we've kind of lost track 65 or six of this quarantine. And early on, I think I shared this. There's a thought in the midst of all the prayers and plans that many of us and I have been wrestling through. There's a thought that early on challenged me and I've, I've tried to keep it in my prayers and tried to continually ask myself and bring it to the Lord is this. God was challenging me and I believe challenging all of us. Do not waste this time. We have the opportunity either to redeem the time or we can waste this opportunity. And 10 years from now, when somebody asks you, what was it like? What was your experience? What did you do during the pandemic of 2020? What did you do during that time of uh, quarantine? I watched a bunch of Netflix. I remember there was this crazy documentary about a Tiger King. Is that going to be your, your story about some guy with tigers? Is it going to be uh, about all the things that you watched on YouTube? Or is it going to be about the times where, man, I, 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 I tuned those things out and I really began to seek the Lord in a way I've never sought him before. I really began to press in and I've always desired to hear God's voice, but oh man, during that time, something shifted, something happened where I really listened and really began to hear and discern his voice like never before. Listen, that's my prayer. And I'll also admit my confession that during the last couple of months, there's been times when I've been really good at that. At other times, I've allowed the distractions and the fears and things to kind of, in a sense, silence, not God speaking, but my ability to really tune in and hear what he is saying. So during what we have said, what Pastor Ray has shared, this forced Sabbath, have you been hearing God's voice? Because let's be honest, I mean, more than anything else, that's what we need. We need to know, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to your, your, your creation globally? What are you saying nationally? What are you saying to your church? What are you saying to my family? Lord, what are you saying to me? And what was so shocking to me early on was how few people seem to actually be asking that question. Are you asking that question? Lord, what are you saying? Do you have a word? Are you hearing his voice? Because if you don't, and if you don't have a word, you're not going to be able to navigate. I'm not going to be able to know what to do going forward. Or maybe as I say this, you, you, you sit on the other end and you, you feel frustrated you're like, yeah, no, I've been asking. I've been asking for a while. God, say something, say something. I remember the, the lyrics of a, a very haunting song that came out a few years ago. And I think the title of it was Say Something. And the, the, the lyrics go, goes like this. Say something, I'm giving up on you. I'll be the one if you want me to. Anywhere I would have followed you, say something, I'm giving up on you. And I'm feeling small. It was over my head, I know nothing at all. And I don't know the full point of that song, but I wonder if that's you, like to God, say something, God. What are you doing in my business, in my family? What are you doing right now? And you're saying, say something. And listen, Psalm 19 tonight is going to be a challenge because what you're going to hear back is, as you say to God, say something, God shouts back, hear something because I'm speaking. We would say, God, say something. And God would say, listen to something. Listen to what I am saying because I am speaking. It's not a matter of if God is speaking. No, what we'll see tonight in Psalm 19 is no, God is constantly talking. He is constantly giving out knowledge in a variety of ways. But are we listening? Are we actually hearing his voice? Listen, the Bible declares from the very beginning, the God that we serve is a God who speaks. 
God speaks and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is constantly speaking from the first pages of scripture to the very last. We find a God who speaks. As I mentioned, Psalm 19 is one of my favorites because it talks about the skies. It talks about the scriptures. It talks about the glory of God, but it talks about God's voice. C.S. Lewis called it the greatest psalm and one of the greatest lyrics ever composed. It was perhaps, and I think one of his favorites also. And Psalm 19 is David's poem, his prayer, his lyrics of encountering God, of what it was like personally to be overwhelmed with the glory of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, as he saw and he heard, as he saw and heard the voice of God in creation generally, as he saw and heard the voice of God specifically in the pages of scripture, ultimately as he was impressed that God spoke within him and in his heart. And last week, Pastor Daniel gave an amazing message on Psalm 1. Psalm 1 that begins the Psalms all about the word of God and the challenge, the exhortation, the invitation. There's a path that God has laid out for us a path of destruction and a path of blessing. The path of blessing is found, one of those things principally is those who are in the word of God. And I think it's interesting, and maybe you've never really thought about this, but the book of Psalms is God's uh, hymnal book to us. It teaches us how to pray and how to sing. And so many of the Psalms, I don't know if you ever realized or thought about this or made the connection, so many of these prayers are actually about the word of God. In fact, the very first one, Psalm 1, is all about the word. And what that just reminds us of, it shows us that prayer and the word are absolutely linked. And if we're really going to pray, we've got to learn, first of all, to listen. That prayer is a conversation where God is speaking and we are responding. So Psalm 1, Psalm 19 is about the word. The longest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119, is an incredible exposition and meditation upon the word of God. So a book about prayer is also a book about the word of God. And so many of the prayers are in fact highlighting, exalting and honoring and saying, get into the word. God is speaking. We need to discern and we need to hear his voice. And specifically right now, we always do, but right now we need to hear, you need to hear What is God speaking globally? What is he speaking for you and and for your family? That's what we're asking as pastors. God, what are you speaking to us right now? We need to hear and know what you are saying. So we'll begin generally, we'll look at specifically and then finally practically how and where do we hear the voice of God? Well, verses one through six, we read this. Uh, it, It tells us we need to hear God's soundless word in the skies. God's soundless word in the skies. David begins in verses one through six describing his experience of creation. About the heavens declaring the glory of God, about knowledge and speech going out. And I can't help but wonder and picture, and and I'm sure it's easy for you too, as David as a young boy, as a shepherd in the fields of Bethlehem, on those moonless nights when every star in the heavens could be seen laying on his back and hearing the sheep snoring close by, he looked up and he meditated, prayed and he worshiped, just looking at the stars. David in Bethlehem in its proximity to the mountain ridge that overlooked the Dead Sea, David perhaps early in the morning seeing the sun rise and it began to rise from the east and it beamed and reflected off the Dead Sea below and 
Pretty soon in the heat of the day, David could feel it. And like he would say in verse six, and he thought about the trajectory of the sun and there was nowhere he could go to escape. There was nowhere he could hide from the heat of the sun. And as David looked, as he felt, as he experienced nature and creation, it moved him like it moves many of us. There's a reason why we want to go to Half Dome. There's a reason why we want to look out at the beach and see the sunset, why people gather around and just stare and gaze. There's something about those scenes and those moments in our life where we're drawn to them. There's something like we feel a lot of people, they don't maybe know or how to make the connection, but there's like something is being spoken to me. Something is being stirred within me. And David knew that, yes, there's something being said. I'm looking at something. And though I may not audibly hear a voice, there is communication. There is nonverbal communication that is coming loud and clear. In fact, he says, day unto day, it pours forth there in verse two. That word pours, literally the word gush. It's a word that was used as a, of a spring just flowing forth. And what David is saying, everywhere I look, God is speaking. There is knowledge gushing forth. There is knowledge about God. There is knowledge about who he is. Listen, I think most of us know if you've ever studied or just, just all of us in communication, a lot of communication, of course, is verbal. But even right now, a lot of what I'm saying and when you ever have any kind of conversation, a lot of what's being communicated is nonverbal, right? Nonverbal communication is hand gestures. It's eyes raised. It's intonation. It's inflection. Body posture, all these sorts of things, they, they communicate something. Nonverbal communication is very powerful and it communicates a lot to us. And, you know, you husbands and wives know a lot of times between the two of you, there's a lot that's said that's not said, you know? You may not actually say it, but you're, you're saying something. You're saying something. You're saying something. You're saying something. God is constantly saying something. And David recognized that that something that God is saying is really the answer to a bunch of questions that we all have is, yeah, why do I want to go to these places? Why do I feel so overwhelmed? It's like when I look at these incredible scenes of nature, when I stop for a moment and maybe just see a bird in flight, when I see the crashing of a wave, when I go down and see the tide pools, there's something that I'm drawn to. It's a similar feeling that I feel and think that when I go to an art museum, when I see a sculpture and it's like, I just want to stare at it and study it. And it's like, it, it evokes something within me. It's like, there's this piece of art. Why, why do I look at creation and feel the same way oftentimes that I feel when I'm studying and in the presence of great music or great art? Why? Because the answer, it is art. <laughs> you feel that way because a canvas is the expression of an artist. A sculpture is the expression of an artist. Creation all around is the expression of God, our creator, the greatest artist. And just like when you look at a piece of art, you know that the artist isn't, he didn't just do this because he was bored. He was doing this because he was, there was an outlet and he's trying to communicate something. He's trying to get a message across. And some of you perhaps studied art at some point and you know when you look at something, there's all kinds of messages that are trying to be conveyed. And when we look around at creation, there is a message that is being declared, it's gushing forth that you are not an accident, we are not an accident. There is artistic vision, there's passion that we, you, me, this world is the product of design and imagination, of incredible engineering. 
There's an artist beyond any artist you and I have ever seen or known. God is saying, he's declaring. And David would say here, and Paul would pick this up in the book of Romans, there is no voice anywhere who's not, or, or no person anywhere who's not been able to hear this voice. Now there's a paradox about this. Like I said, nonverbal because David's talking about a voice going out, but then he also says there in verse three, there's no voice, there's no speech. So there's a speechless sound or a soundless speech, I should say. It's not actual verbal communication, but nonverbal. And yet if we're paying attention, there's a very clear message that is being declared, that is being spoken. A message that we have the ability, if we choose to actually hear and to receive, to know that this isn't just random, this isn't just happen, that no, there's an intelligent design, there's a designer, there's a God who is powerful and creative and infinitely creative behind it all. One of these things technically is called the teleological or the teleological argument for God and simply put as this, is that behind every design, you know, there's a designer. I mean, it doesn't take much for you to use your imagination. Just say you happen to go down to, you know, La Jolla Shores. And as you got there, all of a sudden there, for some reason on the sand was parked a, a beautiful brand new Tesla. And somebody next to you would go, oh my goodness, look what just erupted out of the sea. It's a Tesla. This is incredible. It just, just happened. You would look at that person. You'd say, are you an idiot? Are you a moron? Like, no, that didn't just happen. There's not a person on this planet who would think that Tesla, as intricate as it is, electric systems and sensors, it, it didn't just spring out of the ocean. We'd say you're a moron for thinking that. And yet you and I are so much more intricately, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And there's so many people who go, yeah, it just kind of happened. No, we would look at that Tesla and go, wow. There's somebody who dreamt that, somebody who designed that. There was a team of designers. There was a team of engineers. There was a, a whole production team who put that together. We look around at, at, at us. We look around at creation. And we look at everywhere and we say, no, it didn't just happen. There's a designer. Came across a couple of quotes. And one physicist was describing uh, and explaining uh, Albert Einstein, who had a, a pretty peculiar faith. He believed in God. I don't know where he landed exactly in his personal relationship with God, but he definitely knew more than just, and believed in simply more than just an agnostic faith that he did believe in God. But Charles Meisner said this about him, the design of the universe is very magnificent. It should not be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religions, although he struck me as basically a very religious man, a friend of his said. Einstein must have looked at what the preacher said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen more majesty than he had ever imagined in the creation of the universe and felt that God they were talking about couldn't have been the real thing, real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that the churches he had run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. That was a, quite an indictment sometimes on you and I as the church when we fail to really appreciate the glory of God that's revealed. Robert Jastrow had this quote, and I remember seeing it years ago. Again, an astronomer, he was head of the NASA Jet Propulsion and all kinds of things. And he said this, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, he said, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. 
And his point being, all these scientists are kind of get, jumping and climbing and climbing. They realize, wait, the theologians, what the Bible has said is true all along. Robert Jastrow, a brilliant man, was also a very dedicated believer. You see, there's enough in creation that reveals to us that there, there is a God, that he's glorious, that he's powerful. And yet there's a whole world that refuses to believe that. Maybe you remember, and there's a kind of a plot in several movies and books and novels, but there was a movie a few years back uh, with Jim Carrey. It's called The Truman Show. And basically, Truman's whole life was lived literally in a bubble, a created world. And there's cameras all around, and they're watching his every moment of all of his life from the time he's an infant, and now he's a middle-aged man. But along the way, there's all these clues that are letting him know the world that you live in is not closed, but it's open. There is a designer. There's more out there than meets the eye. And sometimes it's humorous, a piece of the uh, set falls or an extra stumbles and all these things. And he starts to kind of wake up and realize something's going on. And yet the premise of that show is they're trying to keep it suppressed. Uh, it's the exact opposite because God's not trying to suppress the knowledge. He's trying to do everything he can to say, wake up, I'm here, I'm real and I'm speaking to you. Eventually, you know, Truman wakes up. It's kind of like The Matrix. If you've ever seen that movie, it's about Neo who, who lives in this world, but all of a sudden clues are letting him know like, hey, there's something more than beyond what I am seeing and hearing and experiencing. And he finally, he's, he's invited, do you want to know the truth? And I'll just quickly move on. But at some point he's presented with an option. You know this much. You can simply choose to go back to sleep and ignore it like nothing's happening. And you can take the blue pill or you can wake up and, by taking the red pill and realize there's a whole world beyond what you've thought. And sadly, there's so many people just said, nah, you believe there's a God? I don't really know. I'm just gonna take the blue pill and be quiet. And yet there's a red pill in that that says, take the red pill, awaken, open your eyes and see there's something more. I think what God would say and is saying to all of us is, yes, open your eyes. I am speaking, I am declaring, I am real, I am powerful. So we need to learn to hear the soundless a speech of God in the skies. But number two, David goes on to say is this, we need to also hear the, uh, God's special word in scripture, his specific word, his revealed word in scripture. From verse six to verse seven, there is a shift because it goes from talking about creation to immediately talking about the word of God. Verse seven, he switches from, from creation to now the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. The precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. What's David talking about? He goes from general revelation that everyone on earth can hear to God's revealed word. God's saying, I am going to write down my thoughts. I'm going to give you a, not a nonverbal word, but a verbal word, a clear word, a specific word. You see, there's a lot about nonverbal communication that's good, but it also has its limitations, right? Again, coming back as husbands and wives, you know, sometimes you're trying to communicate and the other guy's not getting it. I mean, husbands, a lot of times we miss those nonverbal cues. And a lot of people miss the nonverbal clues and cues that God is speaking. Verses one through six, David says, the skies... Creation, it, it gives us some stuff. It, it gives us knowledge, but it can't give us wisdom. It gives us knowledge about the glory of God, but there's so much more about God and his character and who he is and what he's thinking and what he's up to and about you and me that has to be spoken. And so David was saying, as glorious as creation is, it's not enough. We need a real word. 
We need a, a real voice. We need to be really clear. We need to know exactly what God is saying because knowledge is good, but we need wisdom. Knowledge is important, but we need wisdom, what to do with that knowledge, how to live our life. Creation can wow us, but the word of God can rejoice us, it says. It brings rejoicing within. Creation might make us gawk and awe, but the word of God, the perfect law of the Lord has the power, what it says here is to convert the soul or to revive the soul. Kind of coming back to this analogy about art, every piece of art, whether it's a sculpture or something, again, the artist is trying to communicate something. And oftentimes they would actually tell people, write things down. Yeah, this is what I meant by this image. And this is what I meant by that image. Now, could you imagine coming to a a piece of art or a statue and just saying, I don't really care what the artist means by this. I'm going to give my own interpretation. I just think it means this. Oh, that, that, it means that. Well, it means that to me. And if you're the artist, you'd be offended. You're like, I don't care what you think it means. This is what it actually means. And there are so many people that go, well, I think it means this. I think it means, well, it means this to me. Well, that's great that it means that to you, but that's not what it means. And that's why God gives us a real word that says, this is what I mean. This is who I am. We need a spoken word. And David would say, even the smallest of verses, even the smallest of verses is more precious, more soul transforming, he says in verse 10, than all the gold in the world. It's more powerful, more potent than all of creation. One verse, one written specific word of God is more powerful and more necessary. See, verses one through six, they can tell us about God. Creation can reveal a lot about God, but we'll never know God intimately through creation, through the skies. It takes the scriptures for us to really encounter and to know God. In fact, in verses one through six, you'll see there, if you're paying attention, that the word for God there is in the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim, it's his title. But then switching into verse seven, we get into the scriptures, all of a sudden it's the law of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. When you see that in the scriptures, in the Hebrew language, that's the name of God, the personal name of God. It's what we would say is Yahweh. yod Hey vav Hey. that's the name of God. When, when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? Who are you, God? And God said, I am that I am. My name is Yahweh. In Genesis 1, at the creation, God, God said, let there be light. It was all God, Elohim. And then chapter 2, when he creates man, all of a sudden the name switches to the Lord, the Lord God. When we really want to know God, to have a personal relationship with God, we need the word of God. Creation lets us know there is a God who's powerful. There's a God who is who's creative, who is a master engineer, who is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And the scriptures tell us this God that wows us, he's in love with you and me. The scriptures tell us this God knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows what you're going through right now. The scriptures reveal to us his unconditional love for us. It's only in the scriptures that we find. There's a lot of things we can find out, but it's only in the scriptures. A couple of things I'll take note of. There's many more, but that there is a God who actually is love, that he loves you. There's a God of grace. There's some that would say, well, I, I don't need the Bible to tell me that. I meet people all the time and maybe you're one of those or maybe you meet somebody like, ah, I don't need the Bible. I don't you're Christians. The God I believe in, he's not judging. I've read your Bible. He's a God of love. I just would challenge you if you think that or maybe encourage you to challenge that friend in love to think through what they're saying. 
I'd ask you, ask them, well, where do you get this idea that God is love if it's not from the scriptures? Do you get it from creation? Because when I look at creation, when I look at history, I would have a real hard time extrapolating from nature that God is love when I see, you know, a world in upheaval, when I see volcanoes and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. Listen, I watch Animal Planet sometimes, and sometimes it's fascinating, and sometimes it's horrifying. Uh, we, we were watching this thing called, uh, I think it was Planet Earth, I don't remember. It was this like little lizard running across the beach, and it was like, and it was like all these snakes, and it was like 50 snakes going after this lizard running for his life. When I look at that, I, don't, I think, wow, there's a God of love. No, I look at that and go, oh my goodness. When we know things about nature where, you know, in pack herds of animals, sometimes when the, one of them gets sick, they turn on that. Do, you, do I look at that and go, oh, there, there's a God of just love and not judging? No, it's like, ah. Huh. When I look at history and the, and, the, and the sad details of history, no. Listen, if you really look at other religions, some of you think, well, yeah, all the religions say that. No, actually, if you actually study what the other religions say, they might say God is merciful and just and things like that, which he is. But to actually find that there's a God who intimately, personally knows you and loves you, there's nowhere else you'll find that other than in the pages of scripture. And what we find in scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament is a God who loves, who loves his people, who wants to save his people. We find a God in the New Testament who, who has come down and demonstrates and saves and loves us. Listen, we believe, and the only reason we know that God loves us is because of the scriptures. Derek Kidner, one of the commentators, one of my favorite commentators on Psalms says this about reviving the soul. He says that Hebrew word has the idea of psyche, it has the idea of self. He says the best way to translate is, is this, the scripture has the power to show you who you are. The scripture has the power to restore your true identity. To revive or to convert, as some of the translations says, it means this, there's something wrong with your identity. You're out of touch with who you are, who you were meant to be. You're not alert to who you are. And through the scriptures, it has a way of opening our eyes, convicting, showing us our guilt, but also showing us that there's a new way, reviving us, changing us. The claim is amazing. It's only the scriptures, the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God that can make you really aware of who you are and then actually change you to who you need to be. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You see, we, we read this book, we study this book, but and maybe Daniel even said this last week, but I've heard it before. Out of all the books that you read, this is the only book that will read you. It's the only book that will read me. It's a mirror. It shows me who I am. It shows me my spots and wrinkles. It shows me, it, it revives me. It wakes me up. We need the scriptures of God. We need to know what God is saying. This is where real wisdom comes from. It's the word of God that has the power to give the simple wisdom. It has the power to rejoice, to make the heart sing. As we encounter and we get to know that this God who's so powerful loves us, he loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. It has a way of purifying, enlightening the eyes. It endures forever. It's righteous, it's straight. It has a way of letting us walk and guiding us and strengthening us down the right path. It was Spurgeon who said this, he is the wisest who reads both the world book, nature, and the word book, Bible, and realizes that both volumes are written by the same author. Our father wrote them both. May we learn to hear and realize God is speaking. He's speaking all the time 
out there, everywhere we go, if if we'll stop and look and listen, he's speaking. Every time we open the pages of scripture, God is speaking. And he wants to give a specific word to our situation right now, but we can't end there and neither does this psalm because it ends not with the, the skies or scriptures, but finally God's searching word in our souls. Because David is gone, he sees God out there, he sees the sun and the stars. God is declaring, he's reading the scriptures, but then finally he moves into a time where he says, and it really motivates him to his prayer and to his response. Who can discern his errors? Because all of a sudden David's aware after he's heard the voice of God that God is now, there's something happening on the inside. It's not just intellectual, but God's voice has, has resonated. It's gone forth, it's gone out, like he says but it's landed. And all of a sudden, David is very aware, like, like Peter, when he was in the presence of God, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. All of a sudden, David is saying, Lord, forgive me, declare me innocent. All of a sudden, he's aware of the things that are wrong in his own life. All of a sudden, there are these new desires. Lord, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. God, keep me from sin. Keep me from those areas where I'm, I'm wandering and I'm prone to wander. God, let not those things have dominion over me. Lord, I want to live a life that's blameless. David, he moves here. And guys, listen, this is the most critical part in it. The most powerful and important part is yes, God is speaking out there. Yes, God is speaking in here. I think most of us, I'm speaking to the choir. Like, yeah, I know that. I know that. In one hand, I feel like I put together a message so far that for a lot of you, it's like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But here's the disconnect for so many of us. It never comes to this point. What's he saying into your soul? Because at at the end of it, that's what we have to come to that place. God, search me now. You're speaking, Lord, speak. I don't want it to be an intellectual exercise in knowledge, Lord. I need your wisdom. God, I, I need you to come inside my heart. Lord, I recognize and discern the skies and scriptures, but Lord, now there's something happening. You're impressing, you're speaking, you're stirring, you're convicting, you're challenging God, there's something going on. God, I need your grace. I need forgiveness. God, I need your grace. I need power that I might live a life that's pleasing to you. This is the connection. And, and here's tonight what I want to say to us, where we got, have to get to this place. God, speak. Lord, I want to go into your presence. My wife sent me a, a text this morning, a picture. I think it's in Jeremiah. Is it in Jeremiah? She's nodding her head. Yes, it was in Jeremiah. I don't know the exact cross-reference, but... Jeremiah was lamenting there were so few people who got into the presence of the Lord and because they didn't get into the presence of the Lord they couldn't hear the word of the Lord. Guys right now let's not waste this time we need to listen but we need to get into the presence of the Lord so that we can hear the voice of the Lord we can hear the word of the Lord. God what are you saying? What are you saying out there? But Lord I need it to translate so that something's happening in here. Especially now we need to hear the voice of the Lord. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? We can never stop at one or the other. We can't stop until it finally lands here because again, the Psalm, it's about a prayer. It's about a connection. It's about a relationship. It's about a dialogue, God speaking and you and me responding. So let me be really practical. What does that mean? When you're in your backyard and you see some birds landing and maybe you've got a water fountain out there and they're, they're you know, doing their morning bath or something like birds do. I don't know they do that, I guess, you know. Or you got a bird feeder and they're coming in and out. Or you're at night tonight, you just look up. Just pause for a moment instead of going, oh, that's cool. Or pulling out your phone and just doing this while that's going on around. Just think, Lord, what are you saying? Is there a message that 
I can know about you. Next time you're at the beach and you see a sunset, don't just go, wow. Maybe you clap. <laughs> wow, God, that was awesome. There are times when I see an amazing sunset and I'll just literally just say out loud, God, that was awesome, thank you. It's like, I know the whole world saw it, but I just feel like, God, you did that for me. That's, that was the most incredible thing. There, there should be a sense of awe and wonder on a macro level, on a micro level, all these different areas. Go, Lord, what are you saying? What are you speaking? What can I learn? What can I discern? God, break me out of, you know, my little bubble closed system and help me to hear and see you. How many of you have ever like, you know, planned a surprise for somebody? Like you did something really good for them. And maybe like you, you decorated something or you made something or you just did something for somebody and you couldn't wait. I mean, when we do things like that, right? Maybe it's a present. And, and what, what are you waiting for? The, for the person you love, you're waiting for them to open it up or to see it and go, oh my gosh, oh my God. right? Now, have you ever done that? And they just go, they, they don't even see it or they don't appreciate it or they just ignore it. You're like, what? You're like, what in the world? I just, this thought just struck me. How often does that happen, you know? We were watching this show. It was some decorating design. It was like a restaurant that needed a rehabilitation show. And, and this, they like redid the, and remodeled the whole restaurant. And then, you know, those reveal shows. And they, they bring the restaurant owner in and she, she was from Slovenia. And it was actually really cool to watch her reaction. She was like in tears. She's like, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And she just, I love this wallpaper. Oh, I love this. And she was thanking the designer for what she had done. How much more shouldn't we do that? And yet we just kind of go through life. Oh yeah. Like just stop and say, thank you, God. Uh, you know how the joy, I mean, early on we talked about how David said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. How can we bless God? Well, that's one way you can bless God. When you just say, God, wow. Lord, what are you, what are you speaking I was out surfing last Saturday and yes, we can surf again, praise God. And the red tide's going on. It's all nasty during the day. It's like funky and slimy. But at night, you've seen some of the pictures. It like glows in the dark. And we were talking about as a believer, brother here goes to church. And we're like, isn't that cool? Isn't God just, it's like weird and cool. Like, why did he do that? I don't know, but it's cool. That's so awesome. Literally, you can go surfing and it's glow in the dark. It's like, wow. And there's so many things like that. But beyond that, oh, how much more should we have a response when we read the word of God? It says in Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I pray that often, God, open my eyes that I may see. And how, how should we not respond, Lord? Oh my goodness, wow. And there's gonna be times, oh man, that's hard. But responding, responding like he does at the last half of this, going, man, that's incredible. Listen, when you really hear, it should speak. I mean, when you really hear God speak to you, it should arouse you, it should awaken you, it should move you to action. Forgive me, change me, lead me, guide me. God, there's nothing more in my life that I desire than to have the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord, to be acceptable to you, God. As I close here tonight, maybe there was a time when you, you really did hear the voice of God clearly, but right now it's been a long time kind of use an analogy. Uh, I know it's been a while for some of you, but maybe some of you remember the days of a radio and a knob and you were trying to tune in. I know most of us now are streaming on our devices. We've got our podcast. It's already downloaded. So we never have that glitch. But you remember the days when you were driving your car and you ride around town and they're like, oh yeah, this song, that station comes in really good right here. And all of a sudden you're like, do, 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 do. And it's like, 
you know, and it kind of comes in and cuts out and cuts in and cuts out and goes. And the further you get away, it like kind of gets harder to hear and you're turning the knob and this and that. But you know, if you really want to hear what's being said, you kind of got to go back to that place. You got to turn around. If you really want to, oh, I need to hear what's being said, you've got to go back. Maybe for some of you, 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 you once heard the voice of the Lord really clear. Now it's like, you know, and the Lord would say, come back. Because listen, if you and the Lord are, are far apart, we know who moved, right? It wasn't the Lord. It was you or me. And God would say, return, repent, come back. I want to speak. I'm speaking. I want you to listen. So right now, the challenge is, are you going to waste this time or are you going to redeem the time? You're saying, God, say something. And, and tonight you've been encouraged and challenged. He's saying, yes, I am saying something. Hear something. Hear my voice. Listen to what I'm saying to you. And so if we're going to really hear, that means we have to say no to certain things. That means we have to turn off certain things. It means we have to maybe get back to a certain place, a certain posture and say, Lord, I need to hear. I need to know globally. What, is your, what does your word say prophetically, the times that we are living in? What, what does that mean? God, personally, practically, what do I do? How do I respond? What am I supposed to do? God, speak to me in, in your word. Speak to me in my heart. Guys, let's turn off the noise. Let's, let's repent of the lie that God's not speaking. He doesn't speak to me. No, he speaks. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And let's pray once again, Lord, give me ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church, what the Spirit is speaking to me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.